This podcast is brought to you by PencilPay. Take your wholesale account applications online and control when you get paid. Welcome to Products Hub. I'm your host, Tim Demetriou. Today's guest is Richard Adamson. He's the founder of Young Henry's and the new chairman of the Independent Brewers Association. This is a really important one for brewers from both a commercial and a production standpoint. We discuss the growth of Young Henry's over time, the core changes to the industry that have happened over the last 10 or so years, and the regulatory challenges and updates that the IBA is focused on lobbying. A really interesting podcast, and one that you'll get real value from. Guys, today we've got Richard Adamson from Young Henry's. Um, Richard has been in the industry for quite a while now. I think Young Henry's is around about 10 years, uh, has been going for around about 10 years, which is which is awesome. So um, Richard, really great to have you. Thanks for having us, Tim. Uh, pleasure, pleasure. So um, initially, I'd, I'd, I'd love to understand kind of um, where you came from and how you got into the industry. We've had a lot of, you know, we speak to um, a, a lot of different brewers and and kind of, uh, it's been interesting. It's had, we've had one, one half of them that have come from the um, the kind of almost like a chemical engineering and science path, and then we've had the other half that have come from more of a more of a business path. So, so uh, what was your path into into the vertical? Uh, well, out of out of uni, I was I was playing in a rock band when I started studying, and I didn't really think that I needed to focus on any sort of career because I was you know music was going to be what I was doing. So I did I studied politics and psychology, which probably only qualified me to be an argumentative bastard. Uh, <laughs> I would have thought so. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then got into IT um, because I could do it and there was a demand for it at the time um, and ended up uh, doing that for about nine years or so and um, went through the whole dot-com boom and bust and was a, a dot-com optioneer there for a while. And um, at the end of that, I kind of wanted to do something real and tangible and, something that didn't have any compatibility issues. And, you know, as it turns out, beer fits in all size glasses. And I was a, a home brewer from way back. And uh, Scott Morgan, who's my brother-in-law, um, who's been in the industry for a long time as well, convinced me to um, sign up to Ballarat University and, and um, do the postgraduate course there. And then started Barron's Brewing um, with a few other people um, in 2005 and did that for several years. And then, after a while, I wasn't really happy with the direction I was going in and wanted to do something different. So um, left that and then started working on Young Henry's and I think I left in 2010 and then the first beer for Young Henry's came out in 2012. Oh, and um, what was that like from a, um, I guess, from from leaving a different business to, to going in and starting your own? Obviously, there's a hell of a lot of setup and, and all the rest of it that is involved in that. Can you remember... The um, some of the challenges that you had when you were when you were actually getting started and building. Obviously, it was a different time and probably different challenges. Um, it's obviously the markets. You know, there's there's a lot of players in the market these days. So someone starting a new brew very different to, to, to ten years ago. Oh, look, I think that most of the challenges are the same. Okay. Um, I think one that the the regulatory side is probably a little better understood. Um, depending on where you are, though, um, your council may kind of know what a brewery is and looks like and what that entails, um, or they may not if it's, um, if you're, if you're new to area and look, if you're starting a brewery, 
where there's a whole bunch of established breweries, there's some pros and cons. Obviously, um, you can build a community around you and you know maybe the council knows what you're doing, but um, you're not unique. Um, so yeah, we were we were new in the Inner West. Um, the Inner West Council didn't really know how to deal with us. Um, so the regulatory challenges were really difficult. Um, getting advice I get on, on equipment was all okay, but sort of all the services and stuff around it was probably a little little harder and, um, you know, to the city water and all those types of things. But I think those sort of challenges are fairly, um, fairly common still, but the regulatory issues are probably still the hardest to get over. Yeah, okay. And the, um, and the brewery, when you started it, did you did you go down the the, the regular path of of kind of doing a um, a kind of a tap room or did you or did you go wholesale from day one or or how, how did that work? It was kind of forced upon us. So we um, initially wanted to do a, a quite a high end sort of well not a high end restaurant but like do barbecued meats and have have a restaurant and bar first and foremost and the brewery servicing that and then we just couldn't get approval in in in, um, in Sydney to do that kind of um, arrangement. So we tried to do it in Surrey Hills. That didn't work. We took a, a warehouse in, just in the, in the edge of Newtown there, um, thinking we could probably do the same, but um, our, any attempt we did had to get a restaurant there was not back from council. So we had to go down the wholesale path. Um, and I you know, look back on that and it was probably a good thing in hindsight that we we had to go down that path. Um, it it changed the business quite significantly. Um, not to say you can't have a restaurant and and do the whole the wholesale stuff as well, but it really forced us to get into that side of the business early. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it tends to be quite a quite a hard part of the business, especially if you're already up and going and running a hospitality venue. Um, as you know, how much time and effort it takes to run a hospitality venue, no matter how many people you've got involved and then kind of doing wholesale on top of that would be a challenge. So doing it the other way around um, is actually an interesting way to look at it. Um, so from there, you obviously uh, you, you, you've gone, you started wholesale and then um, what was the evolution of the brewery from there? I was looking at what the hell we're doing, I think was the, the main decision. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we hadn't really thought much beyond making the beer to start with. So we didn't really have much an idea of selling it. I remember, um, you know, we were doing it, we were doing everything. So we were going out and, and selling it once we've finished the day in the brewery. And that involved probably having beers at the at the bars and pubs that we wanted to get it into and yep. you know, talking our way in. Um, but very quickly in the first year, we kind of we kind of maxed out what we could do. We, we doubled the capacity of the brewery. Um, in 2013, Dan Hampton came on board, who's um, sales director now. And um, Dan's first job was really to say no to any new customers, and um, he he ran the tasting bar on the weekends for us because it was, you know, it wasn't really up there selling that much until we could grow the capacity again. Um, how hard so was that? Uh, uh, sorry, how how hard was that for for a sales manager to to actually uh, actually have to say no to customers? It was it was very hard. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't his nature, that's for sure. Um, but I think what that he obviously didn't he said, he said not not yet um, but we'll get to you soon um, I just think we're very fortunate position then that there wasn't much competition so when people were ringing asking for the beer they were willing to wait and they're very forgiving on us as well in terms of us working our way through our logistic issues and supply 
um, you know, sort of the, the cycle in terms of making sure we had enough stock and all those sort of things. So, you know, early days, it was quite often me filling the keg in on a Friday afternoon and Oscar loading it into the ute and dropping it off at the customers. And quite often there was people at the bar waiting for, waiting for the beer to be tapped. So um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty, you know, pretty thin on the ground and just in time at those stages. So it's a true, it's that true, true kind of grinding startup story where you, where you kind of working it out as you, as you, as you go along. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think we had even had a, a forklift at that stage. We were borrowing the neighbor's forklift until <laughs> got to, to a time it was just too embarrassing to ask because we were using it more, more than they were. Yep. They went, okay, we better buy one of those. So, you know, all those little things like, you know, having, a, having someone doing deliveries, they all sort, of, all sort of grew as we grew as well. Yeah, cool, cool. The, um, yeah, it's interesting. You, you, as, as I said, we've spoken to, you know, we've spoken to a bunch of different breweries and kind of some, most of them have started more recently. So it's been probably more of a, more of a structured approach to kind of, you know, getting the capital and then, you know, deploying the capital based on a plan and all that type of thing. And I think, you know, some of the, some of the best stories that, that I hear, you know, kind of day to day are the ones where you, you have to work it out as you go. And I guess, you know, you, you kicking that brewery off say 10 years ago or so, it's just what has to happen. You just have to, you, you know, there's, there's probably not too many people paving the way. Um, you know, you guys would have been one of the first to, to really scale a, uh, scale a independent craft brewery, right? Yeah, I think, well, I think it was our peers. So ahead of us were Stone and Wood and we certainly um, took a lot of inspiration from them and, you know, and a little bit of advice here and there along the way as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I think there was there wasn't much happening in Sydney at that time. That's for sure. So once um, once there was some other breweries around too, we could kind of all help each other and you know borrow equipment and ingredient mm. stuff if we were short. Um, but yeah, when you're the when you're the the first one and there and there's not much else around you, it's kind of tricky. Yeah, one of the things I've um, I've found from you know we've only, we've been dealing with uh, breweries for you know, say 12, probably 12, 18 months. And one of the big things I've noticed is the community there. Um, the community is is a very, very close community and everyone talks a lot. So the idea of you kind of sharing equipment and all that type of thing, it's clear that that, that was born from, um, you know, the community that is there now is born from necessity. And it seems like everyone, everyone tends to know everyone else. And, you know, there's a lot of, there is a lot of, uh, everyone, everyone chats and talks throughout the journey. I think that's really good. It, it is one of the most collaborative industries. I think people from the out, outside of brewing see it for the first time and go, oh, really? That's kind of, that's really nice. That's kind of crazy. Like, you know, you, you're kind of helping your competitors out there. Big time, yeah. The only, the only downside, I guess, is everyone knows each other's business. Though, yep. so. <laughs> There's no secrets in the game. Yeah, I kind of, um, I, I, I kind of, know, I noticed that um, early on as well. There's, um, there's a, there's a there's a lot of talk, but look, to be honest, ninety nine percent of it is really positive talk, and everyone talks glowingly about everyone else, which is kind of rare when people are talking about their competitors. It, it's true, and that's something we've definitely um, kept as part of our ethos as we've grown as a business and taken on more people. Is just um, you know don't talk about the competition unless you've got something nice to say. Um, otherwise, just stick to stick to talking about us. Yeah, I think the pe- I think people find out pretty quickly if you've got negative things to say. So, so it's always good to remain on the positive side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, what, what was the first type of beer that kind of took off for you guys? Uh, well, we had when we first started, and it was natural lager and real ale were the two beers that we were selling the most of. But 
within that first year, um, it was Newtown's 150th anniversary, the sesquicentenary, and um, City of Sydney just suggested that if it might be a nice idea if we made a beer for the occasion. So we, we made the Newtown and launched it at the, um, the local pub, which was um, the courthouse was the pub that we always kind of wanted, wanted to be in. That was the, that's the locals pub for, uh -huh. for Newtown and massive sort of beer garden and a real beer drinkers pub as well. So to get in there was great. And I think on the opening, we, had, we launched it on a Thursday night and by Sunday we'd sold something like 17 kegs in that pub um, and they wanted to keep it on. And I think that scared me a lot because at that point it would have been like half of our production would have been for that one beer at that one pub. Wow. Um, going on those numbers. So that was that was the beer that really took off for us. We didn't have a Paolo in, in the sort of portfolio before that either. So it kind of slotted in nicely, you know, with what we were doing. Um, and that's that's the, the sort of flagship beer we've had ever since. Yeah, awesome. And um, and I guess building off of that, um, the 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 core pubs that were supporting you and that you had um, that you had you know lines in and all that type of thing, obviously, you know, and you probably you obviously know this from the IBA perspective as well. When you're going and you're near a small brewery and you're going and you're trying to put lines in and that type of thing, and you've got, you have to compete against the big guys. How do you how do you operate in a way where you can afford to number one deliver the beer at a price that is that is competitive or or competitive um, as far as the retail is concerned, i.e. they can sell it at a high price that type of thing. Yeah. And um and 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 what are the what are the challenges that you know if you're a new brewery and you're giving advice to a just say a new brewer who's entering the market, um what can they do to make sure that they can remain competitive as well? It is really about finding your audience, I think, and, and speaking to what people want to see. Um, so that was that was obvious in that case that it was driven by customer demands that they they wanted it. Um, pricing is, yeah, pricing is tricky. So you've got to really got to, um, you know, do your numbers and know where you, you sit. Um, you know, I think depending on your business model, looking at the ABV is really kind of critical as well. And, you know, um, if you can, if you can shave off a few dollars with the ABV, sometimes it's worth doing and targeting something that's, um, that's sort of got the repeat drinking sessionability is important too. If you're looking for, um, for draft mm -hmm. sales, particularly if you're not going down that specialist route. Um, but I think you know, we've always sold on kind of, relationships really and that's um you know that's what it's about if we can if we can bring something to your business as a public and more than just the tap point that's what we're aiming to do yeah sure yeah there has to be there has to be that differentiator it's too it's obviously too difficult to to compete on a on a pure price and and kind of infrastructure standpoint against against the majors and um that kind of brings me to the next point um and especially with your recent appointment as chairman of the iba I'd love to understand, you know, the IBA has done a lot of good work recently to, um, to lobby the government to be able to get, um, to be able to get um, some of the um, excise tax, um, you know, the, the, the threshold um, increased and, and, and all the rest of it. So um, can you run me through kind of exactly how you see that and, 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 and what you guys are lobbying for in the future, um, especially, around, uh, especially around taxation of the, of, of the beverage industry? 
but also um, anything else that you guys are, are focused on lobbying on for the for the broader community. Yeah, look, there's a there's a bunch of things. So um, I think that it, it's important to recognise that that um, lifting of the threshold to have parity with wine was a culmination of many years' work, and I think it started off, you know, probably 25 years ago um, with a, a small bunch of brewers at the time would have been you know the lord nelson and jeff shara Shara's mm -hmm. saying that we you know, we should have the same breaks as as wine and it's really um as the industry's grown and we've been able to get a voice um that is representative of you know a reasonable kind of economic um impact in terms of dollars spent and and jobs that we um managed to to do the convincing just um just recently um, there has been some talk, I don't know if you've seen the BA and the AHA were sort of were aiming to get a 50% rebate on draft beer. Um, we were broadly supportive, but not, um, not actively um, advocating for that. And given that most of our members in the um, IBA are in the, the smaller sort of size, yep. um, you know, I think they're all, most of them are tier one in terms of our tiers in terms of sales so they're, they're not making a whole bunch of beer it's unlikely to impact them in terms of giving them any sort of benefit and it would just mean i think that the the gap between what a small brewery could sell their keg at and what the big guys could sell their keg at would probably widen um so it wouldn't really be to our our uh, members benefit as far as i can see um so on look on log the future lobbying uh, there's there's kind of two things there's furthering the business uh, you know our, in our industry and I guess there's protecting as well so we're getting a lot of um, pressure from anti-alcohol lobbying groups to you know further regulatory, um, regulatory pressures on what we're trying to do um, we've just had the the pregnancy warning coming in for labeling um, nutrition's coming up so that there's a move um, to put nutrition panels but look the any lobbying people won't really stop until we've got like something like a flawed floor price for alcohol or um, towards plain packaging. So we've really got to um, fight for um, a right to exist on that front as well. Can I can I quickly can I quickly talk to you about that and dig a bit further into that? I'd be really interested um, to to understand um, what 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 the core motivation is for groups like that obviously there's a you know there could be a number of number of motivations but um uh, I, I find that I, I find that um if you if we're talking about nutrition and labeling and that type of thing that's one thing but if we're talking about plain packaging for alcohol i think that that is um i, I personally think that's that's crazy talk but um what's your what's your feeling across across that area Oh, my, my feeling at groups like FAIR and, and others are the new temperate societies. So they, they, they won't, like they're just pure anti-alcohol. So they just see, they don't see any benefits to alcohol within society. They just see societal harm. So that's kind of what we're up against. We're not, we're not, we're not up against a group that is going to be, you know, reasonable. Reasonable, yeah. Arguing at all. So um, that's the fight we've got in front of us. Um, and there are, and 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 those type of groups they're obviously it seems like they're quite well funded and well organized and they're very used to doing things like this is that pretty accurate well, we've we've funded we have funded fair um so fair got its money um through 
um, the you know the excise that we pay, and they've got a they've got a large base that they um, in, invested that keeps on paying them all the time. So they've got very deep pockets. Okay. Um, and yeah, they are very well funded. And um, you know the, the things that I that sort of annoy me about that group is it's obvious to me that they've been going and crawling through particular breweries, social media posts, and um, putting historical complaints into ABAC about advertising. Um, and also they, in terms of their research, do they never really publish the raw data or the methodology? And they just sort of publish a headline. Um, they publish, yeah, their, their findings, their findings that are relevant to their talking points, right? That's it. And we don't, we don't actually get to interrogate the data at all. So um, I find that very frustrating. And that, that you know, Journos probably get the the press release, and it's it's easy to put a story together without having to ask for the data and really interrogate it themselves. You know, and it, look, it's it's supremely dishonest when you do when when groups do things like that, and we see that. You know, I see that across. You know, in, in every walk of life, you've got you got journalists that only want to do half the job now. They want to be able to produce articles quickly and produce articles that might, might be a little bit controversial and might be a little bit clickbaity. And yeah. that's really what they're after, the journalists. And, you know, these kind of groups obviously know how to work with journalists because that's their whole, their whole thing is naming and shaming type of thing. Yeah. Um, it's, re- it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a real problem. It's a real problem across culture in general, I think. And, um, you know, we see, it, we see it in not in every industry, but in every walk of life. So it's a real concern what, what kind of damage they can, they can do. And um, yeah, when people look historically back at the things that you said prior to rules being changed and prior to you making updates and prior to you changing the way that you operate, it's a, uh, it's a real concern. Also, as you get bigger too, you grow, you grow as a, a business and, you know, you, you have uh, much more scrutiny over, over, you know, your marketing side and you, you know, Hopefully, you can employ people that are talented in this area and have a you know have a reasonable head on them as well to understand the regular environment they're in. So I think it is unfair to go back on some old old you know social media postings of a company that it doesn't it's not reflective of where they are now either. Anyway, that's that, that's the negative side. I think on the positive side, we we do have a, a voice now that's um, that's we're, we're being heard. It's recognised that. We play an important part um, of the economy as well. So, you know, I think where we need assistance further is is everyone's talking about skill shortages at the moment. So we need to really work on training and getting more training across the um, across all the states. Um, we've made some good headway with that. We've still got a long way to go, um, but we're, we're getting there. Um, I think the the whole container deposit schemes and having a nationalised system there in terms of being able to register those and maintain that would be a benefit and that's something we've been been pushing for i'm really kind of red hot on on truth in in labeling um i think there's um still a lot of confusion out there in the marketplace around who owns what and what's independent and what's not um and the indie sales going some way towards that we've still got um some more awareness to do around the indie and what that means um but I think it should be very transparent in terms of who owns what brewery. And that should be that should be really at the point of purchase. 
Yeah, for sure. I think I think if everyone knew where where their where their dollars were going or where the where the margin from from the beer that they purchased was going, I think a lot more people would be supporting your members and and purchasing beer from your members. Um, the the education on that point, we do know that's true. We know that from yeah the um, the roadmap we've been putting together. We've just asked members to go and um, give final feedback on that ten year roadmap. But part of that, we did a, a big um, stakeholder engagement piece and um, spoke most importantly to the punters and the punters want to support independent craft breweries. Um, it's important to them. So yeah, if they sure. the point of purchase, they'll make that, that goes into their purchasing decision. I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. The um, the education aspect that you were talking about before, obviously the, the um, you know, they've, there's nationally recognized education, but obviously the states run a lot of that and especially in the TAFE area, um, no doubt that covers off a lot of the a lot of the training that that is required to to train people up in the in the beer vertical. Can you run me through the type of um, the type of changes that um, you as a you know you as an organisation, being the IBA, but also you as an independent brewer yourself? Um, what are the what are the type of changes that you would you would make to that formalised education? Um, and how how do you get it to a point where it's suitable, one hundred percent suitable and fit for purpose for the industry? It's two things. So I think it's been, it's make, we, we need more entrance to the um, industry and that's through the syndicate three, I, I believe. And we've got, we've got that available in not all, not all the states across the country and not all the regions. So it's available in, a, in Sydney at Ultimo and up in Brisbane. Um, we don't, we're struggling in South Australia at the moment. We need, we need a new teacher. The teacher that was been there for a while has left. So we, we need someone to pick up the mantle and start teaching there. Victoria don't offer certificate three to the general public. It's only been direct Crazy. to, yeah, direct to, um, to Asahi at this point. So okay. pushing, pushing for that. There's a lot of work we're doing with Waba over in um, WA to get certificate three up and running as soon as we can. And, we really need to keep on pushing it um, further. Like, you know, Tassie doesn't have anything, Canberra doesn't have anything yet either. Um, on the on the other side too, there's a certificate for qualification, which um, no one's written cross material for yet. And we really want to get that up and running. And that's um, that's for further education on um, after certificate three, or um, if uh, someone is, is new to the industry, but is going to take a senior role. So we're looking at, production managers, head brewers, or business owners to understand the technical aspects of brewing, but also talk about running a brewery and some of those other skills that are, are required. And I've, I've made sure that there was some leadership um, training in there. There's some financial training. Um, there's some you know, production planning skills. Those types of skills that are, are not direct to specific to brewing necessary, but all about around running a, a brewing business. Mm. Um, they're the skills that maybe are lacking in the industry. And you know, as as breweries are growing rapidly, people might find themselves in a position where they were quite comfortable with the skills that they had in terms of being able to knock out great beer. But if you all of a sudden you've got to run a team of six, plant production, run a budget in terms of maintenance and you know um, make sure that you're, you're keeping a ledger in terms of, you know, all the raw materials and everything that goes into to brewing. Yeah, there might be might be finding that you're not um, you're not swimming quite as well as you used to be, um, and a bit of skilling up there would help. And it completely changes the 
decision-making process of do I actually want to go and do this as a, as a business? Because I think everyone thinks that going into business is a lot easier than what it actually is in reality. You know, I know that from, you know, running multiple businesses over my lifetime and you know that from running multiple businesses over yours that all these hidden costs and, and you know, and the market going up and down and all the different challenges of trying to get paid as well, they all come into it. And I think that a lot of people don't understand those risks and challenges prior to actually opening a business. Yeah, it's def- you definitely need an appetite for risk. And there's, there's different people you require on your journey too. I think as you get bigger, you probably need to employ some, you know, particularly on the financial size, people that are more risk adverse. Mm. When, you, when you start, if you, if you don't have an appetite for risk, you'd look at it on paper and go, this is crazy, I'm never going to do it. Um, so, Especially when you've got... Where like you've, I mean, with with beer, you guys have a certain number of liters that you need to brew, um, yeah. and then anything up to that is losses. So you have to be prepared to be able to take some of those early losses and kind of back yourself that you can brew X amount of liters of beer to be able to produce enough revenue to actually cover your initial costs. And um, then even after that, it's still not all margin. You still got you still got your base costs, which is which is which are you know ridiculously high in in every game and. With the labour and wages of the in Australia, it's a uh, you know it's hard in any business. So, yeah, yeah. Look, and I I've done a um, a couple of short courses for business startup in in this area. And um, after the first lecture, I had a, a you know quite a few people come up and say, "Look, this is not for me." And it's <laughs> it's kind of good that they realised that before they you know taken out a loan or something like that. So, yep. Um, it, yeah, it's not. It, it, starting a new brewing business is not for everyone. Make sure you've got a very clear idea of what you want to achieve, what your goals are, and um, what you want out of it financially. What you, if you, you know, is what you're going to put in what you hope to get out. Yeah, is it is it worth it? And then you've got, you know, we see um, in this industry a lot of people ask friends and family for funding and that type of thing, which happens quite a lot. And, and that is a, that's a challenge in itself, um, just asking them and the relationship that that can create with people that you, you, you know and love. So it's really good to understand the structure of, of your cost base and, and what you need to do to actually be profitable before you start, for sure. Um, just quickly on the, going back to the education side of things, the, the certificate three, is that a certificate three? Is, it, is that a process manufacturing course or like what's the end qualification yeah. that they get? It sits under... Um... Uh, food processing yeah yeah so it's just it's just been updated and we're going to have to do some work to get the the course updated but finally it will be in a certificate three in in microbrewing so yeah um, cool yeah i think there's i think there's i think there there needs there there should be real um real growth in that area i'm very surprised that people don't do it obviously it's pretty um difficult just considering the size of the the size of the industry and the amount of um students that you would you would probably have but there's got to be a way to be able to um, blend it to be able to do it both um, some online and then some um, on the job in, in, in certain breweries that can put up their hand and say, hey, hey, we need some help. And then students can say, hey, I'm keen to help, you know? Well, that's what we've done with, with, um, with the, because I, I teach part-time at Ultimo, and that is that we, we have work placements. And cool. uh, that's a really good opportunity for new people to get some hands-on practical experience and make sure it's something that they do want to do. Um, but so many people have found jobs through that because 
both the, the brewery and the applicant get a, a good look at each other and make sure it's going to be a good cultural fit. Um, and um, generally, yeah, it goes from there. So we've, we've had a high degree of success getting people in the industry via that method. Yeah, it's good to have an extended job interview, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. And I don't think, like, to be honest, we're not, we're not asking for that much. We're asking for people to be enthusiastic, show up on time and get stuck in, really. Yeah. The um, it's interesting. You you say that you say that that's not asking for much, but uh, but um, so I think sometimes now uh, so sometimes now it's it's pretty difficult. I, I spoke to um, I spoke to Tom from um, from a Mismatch last week. Tom, the the head brewer at Mismatch, and you know he's a he's in his late twenties, twenty nine, but a really enthusiastic young guy. And the the difference between dealing with someone that is in their twenties and super enthusiastic is someone that goes and gets a job as a head brewer somewhere as opposed to someone who's kind of not that keen to learn and not, not, not up and about and not enthusiastic. The, the differences was a stark. Yeah. I, I completely, completely get it. Yeah. And that's really, I know that's talking to other, um, you know, breweries out there. Um, that's really what we want to see is, um, you know, willingness and, um, and eagerness to learn um, is yeah. First and foremost, um, you know, it, it is a steep learning curve. You know, you might think you've, you know it all from what you've read or what you've made at home, but it's very different being in a um, in a brewery, you know, a commercial brewery environment. Um, and yeah, good, great attitude is going to take you a long way. Yeah, the the kind of the the differences from it, but turning from a kind of an art that you that you might do as a home brewer and all that type of thing going from an art to being truly about science and, and kind of getting in there and having to scale. Um, a lot of that is, you know, that'd be a massively steep learning curve, learning how to, how to scale that, that, that beautiful beer that you're brewing. How do you scale that for, you know, national or international consumption is a, is it would be an, an enormous learning curve. Yeah. And you're moving from tinkering to, you know, doing a different recipe every, every time you brew to, really honing in and perfecting and not changing what you're doing, but aiming for consistency. And um, look, the job is a lot of cleaning and maintaining. Um, yep. Some likes off. Yep. It's pure production. Um, um, the, um, the industry, how have you seen, have you seen the industry change in the last 10 years? That's, I know it's a really broad question. There's a lot of areas there, but I'd love to understand the, the, the kind of attitudes of the, of the people within the industry. And then, Probably, um, probably the the maybe the challenges or maybe the positives around around actually um, being a commercial brewer because you know it's a big it's a big um, it's a big shift. Yeah, I think I think the industry has probably gone from that infant terrible to um, the difficult teenage years, and we're coming out to coming up to like growing up a little bit. I think now, so um, certainly the level of professionalism is is much higher. Um, I think. Um, technically, the black, you know, the beers are so much better. I think as well. So, um, the customer expectation is really high in terms of quality, and um, the industry is matching that with, with the same um, level of discipline and quality in terms of um, making the beer. And then I think we're just, you know, we're attracting people to the industry that have got a high degree of, um, of skill in marketing and business administration as well. So, um, yeah, I'd say with, with, from where we started, I remember, you know, you got a good beer week and you'd all go to each other's events, you know, and there was probably a couple of highlights there that you would, you know, you'd see everybody there. 
um, to where everyone's busy doing their own thing. So that's that's kind of like you know I, I miss the old days in some ways from from that perspective. But we're yeah. all having to and, and and run our own businesses essentially. So um, that that's certainly the thing I've noticed. Um, we've gone through a few different evolutions and trends in beer, and I'm, I think the you know the the range of beers. We're not really aping old styles anymore. There's new styles coming out. I think there's a breadth there, a breadth of breadth of different styles of beer, which is good to see. Um, is there anything that you guys are doing um, that's kind of a, a little bit different to the traditional um, uh, young Henrys that 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 you want to talk about? Yeah, look, we've I guess we've expanded into um, you know gin and RTDs as well. So um, you know, outside of um, the beer that we make, and we've had a lot of fun with the B sides, and we're, you know, we're bringing our new core range pretty soon, and um, we've got a whole bunch of different um, limited releases lined up. But we're um, you know, getting a lot of traction with the gin at the moment as well. So um, that was that chilling project we started probably in twenty sixteen or something like that, and it's really starting to get its legs now. Yeah, that's uh, obviously. I reckon it's a it's a it's a brilliant idea to be able to produce a you know to be able to distill a a, a spirit as well because you've got the you've got an existing customer base from a both from a wholesale and a probably a retail perspective. So um, you kind of it's 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 quite a quite a sharp idea to do. You, you've actually got distribution from 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 day one. Yeah, it's, it's taken us a while. I think um, like getting the product right is probably taking us longer than we thought too. And it's but it's you know, we've won. Two gold medals this year um, for the gym, one in San Francisco and one in London. So, um, you know, we, we know the product's great and we've got the feedback that it is great, which is um, fantastic. It is a different product to sell. Spirits is not the same conversation as, as beer. So you are talking to different category managers and yep. it's a different conversation at the actual bar and the pub as well. Um, so we've you know, learned that along the way. It's not the same thing. Um, but it's, it's, it is good to be able to diversify at the same time. And the, the actual production side of, of gin, probably vastly different to, to beer. What are the, you know, obviously you've had, you've had to learn a lot. Um, what have been the challenges of actual producing gin as opposed to producing, producing beer? Oh, look, it was, it was a steep learning curve, but there's also some major advantages. Like, you know, in terms of shelf life, you kind of sold it really. Um, yep. with, a, with a 40% ABV um, bottle of gin, you don't have to worry about that, you know, um, that having a best before date that the, the clock is ticking on. Um, yes, so it's but then holding the inventory too, you've got to go, well, you're holding a lot of stock, you know, a lot of value stock mm. um, as where you, where you weren't. Um, then there's a whole bunch of other regulatory issues around because it's, it's, it's a dangerous good you're handling as well. <laughs> wow. So, you know, if, you, if you've got a large stock holding of gin, it's, um, it's, it presents much more of a risk than, than 5% beer. And obviously the tax treatment is, is completely different to, to, to um, what, wine, what wine was and is, and, and obviously what, what beer is now. Um, they, the uh, distillers probably haven't got the same tax. Um, no, they, they did. They did. Oh, they did. Yeah, which was great. Where I guess um, where I think the, the rule pinch point's going to be where distillers and, and brewers may be clashing, I can foresee in the near future, is around Celsius. Yep. So, you know, if you've, got, if you've got two products on the shelf that ostensibly taste the same the consumer and one's taxed on a different uh, regime than the other, 
um, there's an argument there to say it's not fair. Um, I think what brewers who make seltzer would say is though that there's a lot more labour going into the manufacturing of um, the brewed seltzer as opposed to the you know the the dump and stir mix like a, a mixed one yeah yeah um, it's, there's some merit to that argument it's not it's not it's not um, 100% black and white I would say yeah uh, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch yeah cool and um, lastly um, what's next for you guys at at, at Young Henry's you you guys are you know you've you kind of had your 10th anniversary recently. Um, anything exciting coming up or, or any, yeah, any no, new? Nothing I can really talk about, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> That's all right. There's a bunch of really exciting things happening that I've been, I've been personally involved with and the company's been working on as well. Um, but nothing I can nothing I can reveal on this point. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we can reveal it first at some point. Um, and, uh, um, mate, thanks so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. That was a really good chat. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I, I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks again. Cheers.